to More to Come, PW Comics World's weekly podcast of comics and graphic novel news. I'm Heidi McDonald, the editor-in-chief of The Beat at ComicsBeat.com, and this week I am talking to Avi Ehrlich. That's right. That's uh, how you say your name, right? Yep, you got it. All right, of Silver Sprocket. Uh, the Silver Sprocket is a indie comics press that you have been hearing more and more and more about of late. Um, they are the publisher probably best known. Your best known work is Your Black Friend by Ben Passmore. But uh, many other books. Um, just got a Doug Wright Award for Jen Woodall's book and all sorts of co- cool things. And uh, so Avi, welcome. Thank you. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. So we were talking a little bit at MOCA. You were set up there and uh, we said we should chat more because... I just keep hearing more and more about Silver Sprocket, but you are, well, okay, let me back up. I know you have a long background as a record label, but when did Silver Sprocket become a comics publisher? How long ago? Um, it was kind of gradual. Uh, we started out doing an anthology series called As You Were. That was um, our favorite uh, punk rocker comic book artist doing short stories on a theme. And that was, um, we, we made five different volumes of that with uh, Mitch Clem, and it had a whole bunch of people who were kind of indie famous, I guess, like, uh, you know, Ben Passmore, Liz Suburbia, Liz Prince, um, just a bunch of artists that we were buds with who we had worked with for, like, album covers and concert posters and stuff, but um, putting their comics in center focus rather than having them just be supporting a band. And then... um that kind of opened the door to like, whoa, comics are fun and bands are so much less, I mean, bands are so much more annoying to work with than comic book artists. Mm. So uh, (laughs) we kind of transitioned over to uh, like, hey, we could apply the record label um, model to working with comic artists and have fun with it. Well, uh, you know, you just said uh, something pretty profound right there. <laughs> um, oh, yeah? Well, I, I do find that so many people get into comics just in kind of this way where it's it's almost just what you just said. It's like the people are nice and, uh, you know, it's fun. I mean, people, are, it's, it's fun doing comics. I was talking to Clang, named drop, you know, John Leguizamo. I mean, he was at MoCA. And he was just sat there all day. He had a comfortable chair, and he was just sitting there talking to everyone, you know, selling his book. Uh, and I asked him, uh, you know, are you having a good time here? And he was like, I love comics people. They're really kind and talented. And, you know, it is it is kind of a friendly, a friendly atmosphere. Uh, I mean, is that what you found right away, or...? Um, I think comics people can be just as terrible as other people, but uh, I feel like we have a really good comics community with who my own crew specifically is working with and interacting with. Um, so, but yeah, no, comics are cool, like, especially compared to running a punk rock record label. Um, like, bands are like five different people who can't agree on anything, whereas with comics, at least it's a, a single creator or a creative team right. who you can get get some coherent desires and goals from right well um, you yeah and we, uh and, oh go on i'm sorry oh oh no I, go ahead yeah well i was gonna say like you on your website you say that you're an art crew comic zine publisher a record label a collection of buds making things while being self-sustained disasters in san francisco i mean you have a store you have web comics you have 
you definitely have a, a web store. You're on, you know, you're on all the social media and everything. But um, I mean, there is, it is kind of a collective. Is that is that fair to say? Um, kind of. Like, it's definitely a business. Like, I I own Silver Sprocket, but um, all of the artists own all of their rights and get to call every single shot relating to their work. And um, we do transparent accounting where all the artists get to see all of the details of every single thing having to do with their project. Um, so it's not like, I, I know a lot of publishers will say that they're creative owned and they are, but they still have like really complicated contracts of the publishers having a lot of power. And um, all of our artists are free to just take their work and walk at any moment. Um, we just try to help each other out and make things be cool. Um, Cause it's fun. <laughs> but right. yeah, there, there is a strong sense of family though. Like our artists all get along. Like whenever we do a comic convention, it's, it's all of our artists behind the table hanging out and, you know, selling the books and just being train wrecks together. Uh, we definitely have like a shared, there's, there's like a community for sure. That is one of the main things that's appealing to this for me. And you know, what's fun about it. Right, right. Well, I guess some of that does come a little bit from the from the music scene a little bit. I mean, I know there's, there's, you know, the music scene is very much a scene, you know, I mean, obviously, people go see each other's bands, and they swap and they collaborate and all that kind of stuff. I mean, how did I let's talk a little bit about that transition. I mean, you still have a record label, and you did that for quite a long time, right? How did you get into running a punk rock music label? Uh, completely by accident. Uh, I was working at another label just kind of for fun doing their website. And then I, I saw what they, what the work that they were doing. And I thought that uh, bands I was friends with should have records out too. And then before I knew what was happening, I was steadily putting out a bunch of records and it was just a thing I was doing. But um, I think what, what you just touched on though with scenes is, is a really important central part of what I'm trying to accomplish with Silver Sprocket, where um, I noticed that like, with bands, you have a, a very social um, structure. Like, there's a social structure that exists where a band gets to perform a concert in front of a group of people with a bunch of other bands, and it's a, a very social activity that people people do together. Mm. And um, they go on tour and travel from city to city, like being the heroes of a party where everyone gets drunk and hangs out and has this party every day. And um, comics are kind of the opposite of that, where <laughs> people create comics in solitary like by themselves uh people read comics by themselves like there's not really that much um scaffolding for um for for a community to really exist and i felt like the punk rock music community had all of these resources and you know bandcamp.com and like all like ways of playing concerts and interacting and being a part of a community like it's all laid out for them. Whereas other kinds of creators, especially comic artists or people creating material in other mediums, uh, don't really have that as much. Mm. And I felt like it was a real detriment to like the, for, for lack of a better term, the, the punk rock art scene. Um, I, I try not to use the word punk anymore because it means too many terrible things to too many terrible people. But, um, I'm talking about like, you know, a kind of positive DIY empowerment, uh, like, being a positive force in your community, like being deliberate, sort of like a, a Bay Area, like hippie mm -hmm. punk sort of aesthetic. Right. Um, so that, that's very deliberate with the comics that we publish and who's a part of our community and who we support and, you know, what, what kind of guides the projects that we work on. 
interesting. I definitely is a very different kind of an origin story for a, a small indie comics publisher um, than some of the other ones that I've heard of, and um, I think that probably explains... Well, I've been into comics forever. Like, when I was 12 years old, I was um, hanging out with the people at a Cold Cut Comics who were, like, an, an indie uh, comic book distribution company, um, and I think the people who collect records are the exact same people oh, who collect comics. Um, and it's like the the parallels between the music industry and the comics industry are gigantic. And there's so many things that the record industry has been doing for for decades that the comic industry very obviously should be trying out. It just isn't. And um, I feel like us and Black Mask is doing some interesting marketing stuff, too. But I think there's there's so much potential to really make um, indie comics um a lot more successful and cohesive and community driven and there there's just there's a lot of really cool work to do in indie comics where all we need to do is like copy what's worked from the music industry. Well, that's very interesting that you say that because uh one of the things that I've been noticing uh from my viewpoint uh and I'm a very like print print centric person, you know, I have boxes of mini comics going back, you know, 15 20 years. And um uh-huh. but I did notice that as shows like SPX, Mocha, and, you know, of course, TCAF now, but, you know, as this whole circuit of small press shows started, you know, Ape, obviously, was very big, um, and that they were getting a little bit of the feeling of kind of the music scene, and that indie comics were a little like indie music. It's like people were following some of their favorite creators in a little bit of that way, I guess. And, you know, you do... You put out a lot of very small works by people. I mean, it is almost like people are putting out singles. I mean, is is that one of the ideas that, that you're working with? Or? Oh, absolutely. That's even the language we use. Like, I, I see an anthology as being equivalent to a compilation record mm-hmm. where you get, like, a sampler of a bunch of artists. And as a publisher, I get to see what it's like to work with these artists, and they get to see what it's like to work with me. And that kind of can lay the groundwork for doing, like, a single, which would be a seven-inch record or a mini-comic. And then if that does well and we have a good time and we feel good about it, then it then doing like an LP or a full length is equivalent to like a graphic novel. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I definitely, I think that's a, a really good analogy right there. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Well, certainly, um, I mean, you've had some, uh, some big success. I mean, let's talk a little bit about uh, Your Black Friend. Now, this has kind of a complicated publishing history because I know it first came out as part of Shortbox, correct? Uh, no. So what happened was uh, okay. Ben Passmore was on his way to Cake in Chicago, where uh, we were. I I didn't have a table at Cake, but uh, my friends uh, Andy Warner and Ben Passmore both had tables next to each other, and they were both kind enough to just let me use like a foot and a half of their table. So I set up right between them, and uh, Ben had uh, home had stolen photocopies of this comic that he had made while on the bus, just about. Um, well, the the comic that eventually turned into your black friend, it was this black and right. white uh, book that he made. And um, and I read it and thought it was fantastic and uh, was uh, was very, uh, like, I, I don't think, like, I think that Ben, I can't speak for him, but I'm pretty sure that he thought that was kind of like the extent of where it was going to be. But um, I thought it was fantastic and I suggested that we uh, turn it full color because his color work is gorgeous and I make a mini comic about it. So uh, we did, and then it kind of took off. 
But uh, between those two things, it was in the short box. Okay, thing. right, 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 um, okay. That was after cake. Gotcha, okay. Um, I didn't... I, yeah. Oh, go on, I'm sorry. Oh, no, I, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, obviously the comic came out, and, you know, part of it went up on the internet, and, you know, sadly... Uh, the timing was uh, ideal, unfortunately, and definitely touched on so many powerful things, and it really became something that Sadly, people... the, the timing has been ideal for the past forever of right. American history. Like, I, I don't think anything is special to me. Like, I, I, the timing is kind of ideal in that people are starting to pay attention to right. these conversations, absolutely. and yes. we're yes. contributing to it. Right, right. No, absolutely. Um, it's a much better way of putting it. Um, I, I just meant that, you know, certainly wherever people were talking about these issues, that the comic kind of became something that was talked about in, in terms of this as, as a really clear way of laying out what was really happening. I mean, how did that affect you, though, as a publisher? You know, I mean, how do you, you know, it got nominated for a lot of awards and, and you know, is that, did that bring more attention to you as a publisher or, you know, was it something that that uh, did those awards increase orders or sales or notoriety? Um, I don't think anyone really cares about awards, but it was definitely, people did start paying a lot more attention to us with it, but we've been publishing a a lot of other really good stuff too. Mm -hmm. Like I would say the combination of um, Ben Passmore's Your Black Friend book and uh, Benji Nate's Catboy book, I think brought us a lot of attention just because they're they're fantastic and and people figured that out, and uh, and they were accessible on the internet in ways that people could get them even if they didn't see them like at their local comic shops or whatever. Um, but yeah, we uh, we definitely started getting um, you know paid attention to by some bigger media outlets who had previously been ignoring us, and um, it I it might have helped a little. You know, I don't really think it affected our getting distribution or things like that. Like, there's so much smoke and mirrors in the entertainment industry in general <laughs> where it's it's like a thing that you can hold up and say, look, I'm valid, I, I matter, but it really doesn't. Like, <laughs> I, I think the, the quality of the work and the personal connections that people have with it and people on an individual one-to-one level sharing it with their friends has a much greater impact than a... Um, like a trophy on the wall. Right, right. Well, how do you, I mean, you, you you now have so many amazing cartoonists that you're publishing. I mean, you mentioned Liz Prince, Liz Suburbia, um, Jen Woodall, and Michael Sweater. And I, I, you know, it's really like this incredible lineup. Um, I mean, do people yeah, come to you? Yeah, I'm so grateful. <laughs> I, I, um, I really don't know what I'm doing right to, like my job is to literally be excited about my very favorite comic artist in the world. Like, I I would be enthusiastically supportive of all these people, even if we weren't working together, and I, I was before I was publishing them. Um, I think that, I don't know, I think part of it is that our, the artist-friendly deal terms allow me to work with artists that are just way out of my league, um, because they, they see, like, oh, this isn't, like, a predatory, scary contract, and I get to own everything and call all the shots. Like, that's great. And do one project at a time... Um, we, I don't really, everything's pretty organic though. Like everyone that we've worked with are people that, that I've, have been kind of part of the, the group of buds for, for a long time before being published of, um, hanging out at conventions or other places or knowing people from the music scene before that. Um, there's not really like a formal submission process or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And like every artist we work with too has the experience of self-releasing their own comics. Um, like I will, I will never work with, I mean, I don't want to say never, but I can't imagine working with someone who hasn't self-released their own books mm-hmm. because I have to be able to think of it as like a, a partnership where we're working together on something and we have a shared understanding of the work involved and the goals involved in what we're doing. So, and because we do so many conventions, it's like the people who are out there with their own hustles and self-releasing amazing comics, like we're going to notice each other and talk and hang out and become friends and, and work together if a cool opportunity presents itself. Right. No, you do do a lot of, a lot of shows. I mean, what, what is, is this important to, um, you know, promoting this kind of scene or i mean what what why why do you do i i hear some publishers you know are pulling back on shows but you're you're going all in so what's your thinking there um i i really like traveling around and hanging out uh like i think that um the entertainment industry like uh, a lot of creative type I, i i kind of think well just on a real personal level staying super busy really helps me out with depression. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just really like to, I kind of jam pack my schedule and bite off a lot to, of projects to just stay busy. But um, as far as the, the comics and stuff, I think pretty much everything that we've published has been self-published initially. And then I found it and thought, oh my God, this is amazing. And I know that our existing audience would love this and I would have a good time promoting it. Uh-huh. Um, hey, here's an idea for how we can work together on it. So personally being at all of these indie shows is is a very prime spot where I find out about new talent and new books that I want to put out and new people who are doing amazing work. But I'm not really on the hunt for new people. Like, the, the roster that I have is fantastic and I'm really glad to be working with them and I, I need to make sure that I don't take on too many projects at once because I, I have to do a good job for their books. But um, I think, I don't know, like last year we did uh, the Kansas City uh, Zine Con and like a bunch of much smaller events and they were just fantastic. Like the people were so supportive and really into it and we like made money, which was weird and mm-hmm. <laughs> like it, I, I just think um, making, like, one of the problems with many media industries is that there are so many gatekeepers. Right. And I think that being able to break through that and just personally, directly present something the way that you want to present it has a lot of value. And I'm really into, like, being out there and, and making that pitch and presenting it the way that it needs to be presented and directly connecting with the people who are going to appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting you mentioned Black Mask because I know that they kind of have like this music element, you know, music distribution element also with with when they started out. And actually, now that you mention it, there is I, I really admire a lot of their output. There's always kind of something very political and um, you know current about their output. It kind of makes a statement in a way that that some other stuff doesn't. And there isn't. I mean, I would never say that you were a political comics publisher but there is i would okay i absolutely right. would okay <laughs> yeah I, I mean there's something i mean honestly like i mean yeah. i don't want to start like a like I, i'm sure those guys are doing a lot of really good work but i think it's um pretty ballsy or i'm sorry pretty gutsy to to call your company black mask mm-hmm. like that i mean we're we are actively involved in like anti-fascist activities and activism um you know prison abolition uh just 
all sorts of stuff. Like, you know, we're actively involved with a local uh, gender queer bicycle gang called the Degenderettes over here who are mm-hmm. constantly like getting doxxed and harassed online. Like, um, you know, we ha- we're guided by a lot of anarchist pr- principles and uh, we don't, we don't really try to hide that or apologize for it. Mm-hmm. Um, like this is capitalism, but we're trying to do it as ethically as we can. Right, right. Well, that's a that's a interesting um, tightrope to walk for some people, but you seem to be doing it quite well. I will say that. Um, do you? I, that, I really. It's not a tightrope. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just being well, honest. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, no, no. But I, yeah, I I will say though that um, it's not it. Yeah, it should be a tightrope. You know, I, I actually let me p- try to put aside my uh, my expectations here because uh, I, you know I've been in this business for so long, and believe me, I've seen a lot of things work and a lot of things that don't work. And sometimes, even for me, it's like, oh, what is this new thing? You know, and I think what even as we're talking, it's very clear that what you're doing is something that is definitely not taken from the the comic book indie publisher playbook. It's coming from some other playbook, and you know what? That's what everybody needs everybody needs new ideas with for how to do all of this stuff you know because all the old rules went out the window um just as far as oh just... yeah these dinosaurs are dying left and right, <laughs> right. and um it that's fine <laughs> they're they're in the way right well but let's you know as far as music goes and and obviously the whole music industry was upended by you know distribution and and how they did it, you know, and and what the the new methods were, and uh, comics have really survived that. I mean, do you have any thoughts on on you know the evolution of of these distribution models? Is it all going to be direct to consumer, or are there going to be middlemen, or you know, are they what's going to get bigger? Um, well, as far as music goes, none of my favorite record stores shut down. It was all the really terrible mall stores that were part of the like major label corporate garbage system that that ended up failing because they just weren't really providing any extra value. They were just part of a messed up distribution network. Right. Um, and I believe the same is true for comics. Um, like to call Marvel and DC mainstream, I guess that makes sense because they're 80% of the comics market or more, but I don't think that the majority of people read Marvel and DC comics. And as a medium, comics have a ton of potential outside of people who are into superhero comics. Right. right. Um, I think that the, the comics industry has so much to learn from when when the music industry got hit with all the new digital stuff, a lot of the, the major systems ended up being obsolete while a lot of independent labels and independent artists were able to really thrive with it because the gatekeepers were pushed out of the way. And um, services like Bandcamp.com and before that MP3.com um, allowed musicians to directly make their music accessible to their fans without without all of these hindrances and um, I think that's really a parallel to how uh, if you're an artist you can have a Tumblr page or put web comics online and directly build a fan base and a community uh, without anyone up in some office in New York City or whatever telling you if it's good enough or not right um, so pretty much like every all, almost all the comics we publish are available for free on the internet and we take advantage of all that like it that helps us (laughs) right how does it help you well people get to find out about the books like 20 bucks is a lot of money to drop on a a graphic novel and i think the contemporary buyer of indie comics doesn't really want to spend that much on something that they don't know if they're going to like or not but if they 
re- read a bunch of a webcomic and find that, or, you know, if, if they know that they like it, then they know it's worthwhile to really own the, the nice, good thing right. with, with a high production value, like, worth having. Right. Because now that everything's digital and we have, like, tiny little apartments because housing is so expensive, like, how do I justify this thing I'm making being worthwhile to take up space in somebody's living room or bedroom? Right. Um, it really has to be good. Um, so I think with with the internet, we can show people that it's worth their while before they even buy it, so they can kind of try it and say, oh, this is cool. I really want to read this on not a, a screen and be able to relax with it and share it with my friends and come home and glance at my bookshelf and be reminded that this wonderful book exists and that I could just pick it up and read it. Oh, man, you just described my life in <laughs> my tiny apartment filled Which with is... so many books. <laughs> And it's just like records, too. Like, I have my favorite records on vinyl because I work in front of a computer or on a tablet, and I can't, it's really hard for me to relax with a computer open. So, But if I just glance at my bookshelf and see a record I want to listen to, I can just grab it and put it on the record player without... Like, like when, you, when you're on Netflix, it's like you're doing work to figure out what movie to watch, and mm-hmm. I just think that sucks. So I, I think there's still value to physical product that even if there wasn't, um, I don't know. I mean, nothing's forever. Like, I feel like I'm providing value and being helpful and con- uh, constructive right now to comics, but I'm not going to really freak out if all publishers are made obsolete next week. Mm-hmm. Like, that'd be fine. <laughs> Interesting. Well, you know, one other thing about the physical object is I'm always hearing people say, oh, digital, if it's on the internet, it's forever. And like, you know, nothing could be less true. I mean, it is true. Things get out there on the internet, but you'd be surprised at how many things on the internet that are digital disappear. And, you know, guess what? Formats become obsolete. Uh, hard drives fail. And, you know, if something's in print, there's all these copies of it in different locations. <laughs> it's like the cloud, only Absolutely. it's on paper. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, everybody lost all their MySpace photos mm-hmm. um, and, like, old answering machine messages. I think people are just now starting to figure out that uh, a closed Internet with um, separate entities controlling things means that they're not really preserved. Like, old bands that had their music profiles on MySpace are all annoyed that nobody can find their music anymore um so yeah that's true sobering sobering thoughts uh good old myspace yeah i know and it it just had the thing also is is it is like a hard drive failing it's like one minute's there and then they they hardly even give you any notice and then it's gone and so yeah that can be a shocker so what's what's your goal for the immediate the next little while any any hot books coming out that we should be looking for or you know what's what are you debuting at tcaf Oh, yeah. So um, our TCAST debut is called Pinky and Pepper Forever by Ivy Adams. And um, it is, uh, let me see how to describe this. We have, <laughs> we have like a cool little description to together. Um, it's uh, it's about these two like anthropomorphic uh, puppy dog uh, girls, uh, women <laughs> who are um, really into art. There's a, it's, it's a very gay, furry story with a lot of Catholic guilt. And uh, they go they go down to hell. A bunch of cool stuff happens. Um, it's fantastic. It's it's very funny. It has a lot of feelings. There's it's very um, there's a lot to it. I, I think I'm not doing a good job selling it right well, now. I'm but looking it's at just the cover. Absolutely and gorgeous it, and fantastic. It is a uh, it is very vibrant and uh, 
totally kaleidoscopic. I will say that. Uh, I agree. If you are at TCAF, you should definitely check this book out. It looks absolutely fabulous. Um, and uh, Oh, here we go. It's a dark comedy full of furry fun and gay Catholic guilt. <laughs> Uh, you know what? This is so, a great sales line. This is why you guys are a success. That's the... <laughs> so what? What? What else for the? What else for Silver Sprocket? You know, what are what are some other you know goals or or uh, you know where do you want to see it in a year's time? Um, I don't really have that kind of a a goal structure, but we are publishing a, a whole bunch of fantastic books coming up. I guess really my goals are more of um like this past year has had so much growth that I've been having a lot of trouble keeping up with it. And um, I'm trying to get our systems in place to like make sure that regular business things like accounting and royalties and stuff go out in a timely manner and do a good job providing artists with transparent access to their information and, you know, the kind of support they need. So right now I'm kind of working on building up our own in-house system as well as just publishing some amazing books and, and being a helpful contribution to whatever community or whatever artist I'm engaged with. Mm, right. Um, I, I knew you were going to actually, after talking to you for a bit, I knew you were going to say that. So that's one of my usual questions I ask publishers, but I knew you weren't going to, I knew you were going to have a different take on it. So, um, I, I'm but gonna... I could talk about books too. Like we're publishing <laughs> Liz Suburbia, Aaron K. Wilson, uh, Ben Passmore, like everyone's talking about the Your Black Friend book right now, but Ben and I started talking because of his Gagalo A-Hole book, which is like a, a sci-fi dystopian post-apocalyptic, um, just like hellscape comic that is super political and relevant and important and funny and thoughtful and weird and gorgeous. And I, it's great that people are excited about the Your Black Friend book, but just wait till you see Gagalo A-Hole. Like anybody who's into Brandon Graham or headlopper or anything else is going to freak out and lose their minds mm -hmm. yeah i i actually been following that on uh, i know some of it's been put up on tumblr and it is indeed uh totally notable um what well, what uh you know what do you think i mean obviously you have a do you, do you have like a loyal following among your fans i mean do your do your readers or do they pick up is it is it like a, a a record label where it's like oh there's a new silver sprocket book out i better check it out i mean you know there was that kind of label indie label loyalty that was very strong among um you know music fans i mean do you do you have that that kind of interest in your work or is it is it something? oh absolutely like, I, I definitely, I don't ever want someone to buy something that's not the thing they like, so I try to do a, a good, honest job communicating what it is. But, um, yeah, we have a, a really strong, loyal group of fan, I, just people who are supportive of what we do and appreciate it and enjoy being a part of it. So pretty much, like, anything, whatever we put out, like, there's a core group of people who will just pick it up, and it's fantastic, and I really appreciate their support and continued engagement. Um, but, like, of course, we're trying to reach new people, too. Mm -hmm. Where do um, you where do you see? Yeah, that? like all. Oh, go on. Go ahead. Oh, I was just. Gonna I was going to say, like every. <laughs> no, you you go, you go. Uh, I was just saying that uh, every every release has a number on it. Uh, just like as the transition from record label to comic publisher was pretty accidental, and I I continue to like number each release as we do with the record label. So like every item has like silver number whatever. And I think that kind of helps people see the chronology of what's going on and when things are happening and, like, what the different pieces are. That is um, But I don't genius. think it's, like, a try-to-collect-them-all thing. 
Right, right. Well, you'd be surprised. Um, <laughs> I, I was going to say, what what do you think of... <sighs> Again, I, I, I want to try to phrase this in a way that doesn't presuppose, but, you know, the comics audience. I mean, we, like I said, I've been noticing for quite a while that that indie comics are, are like indie music used to be, uh, you know, just in terms, or, or it's it's morphing into something that is like this. But, I mean, what do you think of the, the audience? How do you think the audience does grow? I mean, what kind of people do you, is it, is it, do you think anyone can pick up a comic? Do you think that there's a universal audience for it? Or, you know, is it is it more specialized than that? Or... Um, I'm not really trying to worry about it on a grand cosmic scale, but I, I do see my own peers and friends and like the, the social circles that I engage in, like, you know, we, we have like crappy haircuts and patches sewn onto things and, and crappy tattoos or whatever. Like this is a, a, a demographic that will be defined better by future generations once, when we've all grown up a bit. Uh, I I do think that there's like a, a defined sort of audience that I'm primarily publishing for. Um, like a, a lot of this work is created by and for this particular community, but it doesn't mean that it's exclusive. And I think there's really important messages and content in these comics that are very worthwhile for a larger audience. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Like a book like a uh, like Catboy, um, people people on its face might see it as like a really adorable little story about like you know a person and uh, and their cat and their adventures, but it ends up but it does a really good job to, uh, cover addressing issues of um, of gender identity and class and um, just like you know sexism and um, like you know shortfalls of capitalism and how art is valued. And it's really a political work, even though it's kind of subversive with it, even though it's also a totally appropriate children's story that's just super heartwarming and fantastic. Wow. So, um, it is you know, absolutely... These, these values are important. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, it is incredibly cute, but uh, there is a lot more, more to it. I was reading some of it on Vice, actually. So um, it's it's good stuff. Uh, well, that's... that's uh... Um, yeah, so I... Yeah, I think that anybody would benefit from reading our comics. Like, I, anytime somebody comes in to the shop or to our, to our table and has some patience, I will say, pick up a copy of Catboy and read the first page. Um, and they will almost always end up buying it. And they're just pleasantly surprised that this even exists. <laughs> and, um, I, you know, I, I don't really know who wouldn't want it. Uh, some heartless monster, I guess. But, um, <laughs> yeah, we... We publish some good comics. I think they've got a much wider potential audience than a Spider-Man book, but I'm not really sure how to do that marketing just yet. Well, I have a feeling you're going to figure it out, or, or not, and that'll be really cool too. But um, it's very exciting what you're doing, and uh, I, after talking to you for a bit, I understand why everybody's been telling me you got to talk to Silver Sprocket. So... Avi, Uh-oh. no, <laughs> no, no, it's, it's great. No, 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 it's, it's exciting because you know what? we got to get to comics... 4.0 or 5.0, you know, or 5.6, 65.0, you know? Permanent wave. Yeah. We're, we're always changing and learning and growing. It, it is, and that is why people people are drawn to this uh, a lot of the time. So, Well, Avi, thank you so much. Uh, I appreciate your time, and, um, you know, good luck with everything, and we'll see you at TCAF. All right. Yeah, sounds great. Uh, we will be at TCAF with, like, 15 of our – I'm exaggerating, but we will have a whole – 
whole crap ton of artists there. So I hope uh, people would come by and say hello. And yeah, it's going to be a party. All right. Join the party. Okay, uh, here we're back again for another episode of Stargazing. I'm uh, Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor at Publishers Weekly, and I'm here with Meg Lemke, the PW Graphic Novels Review Editor, and we're going to talk about uh, just what uh, some some big books, some interesting books, some starred book reviews uh, that uh, have appeared in PW re- recently. So welcome back, Meg. Hello, everyone. Yeah, so Stargazing this week, what do we have? So to jump right in, a book that I am personally super excited about is All the Answers by Michael Mm -hmm. Cooperman and this got a star review in our let's see April 2nd issue of the magazine and actually coming up in this next issue will be an interview with Michael as well so watch for that subscribers Um, this is published by Gallery 13 so Michael Cooperman is an artist who Mm -hmm. I have been a fan of for years Um, he's really a weirdo humor cartoonist mm-hmm. Very and funny. so mm-hmm. funny and his particular brand hits my funny bone you know he has the snake and bacon strip I don't know if you mm-hmm. recall I've, I've seen it right? yes I have some tasty bacon and the snake goes yes <laughs> uh, so from that baseline essentially you know we get a complete about face with this deep beautifully considered um, painfully drawn out from Michael's you know, own sense of self and his personal family history memoir about his father, Joel Cooperman, who was one of the quiz kids from World War yeah, II. this is really interesting. I haven't read the book mm-hmm. yet, but it sounds fascinating. The background is fascinating. And, um, you know, Salinger writes about the quiz kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He, the, they were a real cultural touch point, and I think for the generation that grew up with them, um, he actually, in the book, he has these interstitial pages that quote from literature that most people are going to be familiar with that touch on the quiz kids. And I think now, for those of us who are audience who may be a little bit too young to know what we're talking right, about, the right. quiz kids, this was a scandal, uh, a among scandal arose, quiz, TV right. quiz show um, that were basically giving the uh, answers mm-hmm. to but, the contestants. But and this took place started, in the 1950s. Right, but it started out as a World War II radio program. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in the, in the beginning was not... Picked, yeah, yeah right? no, it wasn't really And that's first. part of what is so fascinating about the arc of the story because it's about this lost innocence in some ways from the radio days mm-hmm. uh, moving into the beginnings of reality television, mm-hmm. essentially. And like what we see now with the very scripted um, setups that we yeah. see in reality television. Mm-hmm. And his, so his father, Joel Cooperman, was one of the initial quiz kids, was mm-hmm. considered the smartest boy in the world. Uh-huh. And and Michael spent the book trying to get his dad to talk about his past. His dad's always been this cold, reticent father. Um, and this is part, the trauma that his father experienced as a quiz kid, as a kind of, you know, first loved, later hated mm-hmm. figure yeah. and, chi- and former child star. Uh, really passed on to Michael and all of those insecurities. Mm-hmm. So not to give away too much, but it's it's really in the tradition of Alison Bechdel and mm-hmm. Fun Home, cool. Ross Chast. You know, it's layered. Mm-hmm. It's such a fascinating mm-hmm. story. Mm-hmm. There's so much about, there's so much relevance today. Mm-hmm. And Michael mm-hmm. does a beautiful job with mm-hmm. it. What's the full title? Um, all the Answers, a graphic memoir. Uh-huh. Okay. And it's out in May, so listeners can yeah, probably go up. pick it up. Okay. I really next. love it. Next, um, next is Super Late Bloomer, My Early Days in Transition by Julia Kay. That's from Andrews McNeil. We reviewed it with a star 
in the March 19th issue. So this is a collection of Julia Kay's web comics, um, Up and Out, which were apparently originally more of these like absurdist pieces and then became a rawly honest diary comic by Kay as she went through a gender confirmation transition. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I found really fascinating about it is we, there's a lot of collected diary comics. You know, it's it's really a genre a staple of the category. Indeed, yes, right? <laughs> and particularly like taking a web comic and making it a book is not in itself a special no, action, no, 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 no. right? Mm. But this story and the the day to day, the quotidian nature mm-hmm. of identity transition mm-hmm. uh, is so perfectly told in the diary format sure. that the form and the story and the emotion of it really matched in a beautiful way. Mm-hmm. Cool. And yeah. the reviewer really fell for it. The reviewer says, her tenacity in this hopeful story will be resonant for readers who are going through personal transitions of many kinds. Cool. All right. the, the, the imagery is, is really and charming. obviously too. a timely book. Um, yes. Yeah. So, all right. Then, and... Um, a book that I know we're both quite fond of, because we've talked about it quite a bit, is Your Black Friend and Other Strangers by Ben Passmore yeah. from mm-hmm. Silver Sprocket. This book is out now. It came out in March, and um, we reviewed it in the March 12th issue of Publishers Weekly. Mm-hmm. You can read all of these online, but you know, hopefully you're getting the magazine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... Passmore is hilarious yes. and contentious. You know, and insightful. Insightful. Um, Candid, um, very inventive, Mm. draws extremely well, very expressionistic, uh, but very, uh, very polished as well. I mean, as you can probably tell, we're both fans of this guy. He's a really important new voice, and I was pleased to get the opportunity to review the book because it's from a really small publisher. Sometimes it can be hard for us to get those books on time, and they made a real effort to make sure we could get a review in the magazine, Mm -hmm. which I think was important because we, you know, part of what I want in this role with the Star Review as well is to bring to the attention of booksellers and the broader readership comics that they might not otherwise come across. Mm -hmm. Um, And this, this is so on the moment mm-hmm. and he writes he's, should he, we give a little background on this book yeah he lives in New Orleans mm-hmm. and he writes about um, issues around race particularly mm-hmm. but he has a much he also has a lens that pulls back and looks at systematic inequality yes. mm-hmm. um, but he writes for example in this book about uh, the statues coming down the confederacy yes, yes the confederacy mm-hmm. statues coming down mm-hmm. New Orleans um, he takes on you know the, mm-hmm. even well he's, established. He's also he's also an activist, and he's also right. he's he's also in terms of his own identity is a is a black activist punk. Mm-hmm. He he's he's got a very interesting as a as a uh, as a misfit in um, in some ways in terms of the culture and politics. He has a very interesting position from which his, his right. He has a unique position. To, and that's I mean that's what the this the. the the title is referencing, I think, yes, also. It's I coming from the punk culture, which is dominantly white. Yes. Um, you know, he's very directly mocking the referential behavior of left, white lefty mm-hmm, folks absolutely. who will say, well, I have this black friend, and here's the yeah. black friend really speaking yeah. his mind to those readers. Absolutely. And, and I think what the book does in many cases, the original story, because this was originally a serial comic, mm-hmm. but actually, um, uh, um, what is it, Sprocket? 
uh, what's his publisher's name? Sparkle Sprocket? Sil- Silver Sprocket. Silver Sprocket. Silver Sprocket, sorry. Sorry, Silver Sprocket. Um, it was originally a serial. It won, um, God, I think it won um, one of the Indie Comics Awards. It's a multi-award winning title story. Yes. And then they expanded it into a hardcover mm. um, that they basically... Uh, uh, as a collection of his past cartoons because he publishes on the nib as well. Yeah, that's what this is inclusive yeah. of. It's but a lot his of work pieces. really looks at the subtleties of what he sees as sort of racist microaggressions mm-hmm. uh, that take place on the left mm-hmm. and on the bohemian left. Mm-hmm. So it's a very interesting critique. He takes his aim at the at the outright racist, mm-hmm. but he also does has a more subtle cultural critique that's very refreshing. It's an important book to read for anyone who thinks they know what they're talking about because they have a black friend. Yes, yes, I would say that's true. <laughs> so, and it, the new title is "My Black, Your Black Friend, and Other Strangers," right? Exactly. Which I think it has, adds another layer of of complexity to his. And the art is really the, fun and yes, he's hilarious. He um, yeah. That's actually something that I would say through all of the three books that we are gazing yes. upon in this um, episode. They're they're serious topics and that all of their creators have a unique and insightful wit. Yeah, I would would agree 100%. Mm. So um, so that's going to do for this week. So another week of uh, stargazing. Yeah, I, you know, I love this feature because we get to talk about books we really like, which yeah. is, you know, we were just talking before the tape went on that it's hard. Reviews can be negative, and they can be mixed, and they can be really positive, but a star is something special, and so we can shine the light on those books in this feature. There you go. Thanks, Meg. Mm-hmm. Thank you.